Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. So there's a, a story. Uh, it's an old Greek legend, actually, uh, about an ancient uh, king of Corinth. Sisyphus was his name, ancient king Sisyphus. And uh, the legend goes like this, that he was such an arrogant and uh, disrespectful king that he was sentenced to an eternity of drudgery, uh, forced to, to roll a giant stone up a hill. And as soon as he got to the top of that hill, then the stone would roll back to the bottom and he would start all over. And that was just his life, this drudgery of pushing a stone up a hill for his uh, punishment of insolence. Uh, and, you know, that story, it just went on and on and on, and then, and then there was a philosopher uh, by the name of, of Kamas in the, the 20th century, and he, he took this legend of Sisyphus and said, you know, this is a, a picture, this legend of Corinth, it's a picture of modern man's condition, that it's just the purposeless absurdity of life. That's what he determined, just the purposeless absurdity of life. And you know, that philosopher was correct if you don't have Jesus. See, here's the thing about life is it really is meaningless. Uh, You pursue one thing with everything you have and you finally get to that pinnacle. You get to that place. You summit that mountain. And what you find is that the satisfaction the contentment, the joy that you thought was going to be there actually isn't there at all. And you start all over again, and you, you start up another summit, and, and you summit that one, and you find that it's not there either. And we will never be satisfied as human beings outside of the satisfaction and peace that is found in Jesus Christ. And... You know, Paul's letter here to the Corinthians, man, it's so fitting. Because the Corinthians were a people who were chasing everything outside of Jesus to try to find joy in their lives. They were, they were chasing everything that they could possibly chase to find contentment and happiness. Uh, you know, Corinth was a, a Roman colony. And, you know, they were situated geographically in a very uh, lucrative position. There, uh, you know, Corinth is on just a little strip of land that connects mainland Greece with the, the Peloponnesian uh, Peninsula. So there's this little three and a half mile strip that, that connects this peninsula with the main territory of Greece. And uh, on either side of this little strip of land, you have the Mediterranean Sea and then you have the Aegean Sea. So there's this major port on both sides uh, of Corinth. There's a port on the east side. There's a port on the west side. And so it was just this hub. It was a a, a hub of commerce, trading, and wealth. But it was also this huge mixing pot of, of culture. And Corinth, boy, it had little temples and, you know, places to worship pagan. It was spotted all over it. That's what Corinth was all about, was worshiping all of these pagan gods, and that pagan worship 
was integrated into every single aspect of their life, from government affairs to civil festivals, uh, trade guilds, uh, you name it, social clubs, just life in general uh, revolved around uh, just these foreign gods. And so Corinth, boy, it was a polluted, polluted culture. Uh, They worshiped everything but the true and living God. They were proud and self-centered. They had this reputation for vulgar materialism. Uh, It was uh, the place of one-upsmanship. Boy, you know, everybody was just trying to outdo the other, be the most powerful, uh, you know, be the most influential socialite or the, the wealthiest person on the block. That's what their priorities were all about. But not only were they just uh, into this materialism, but they were very immoral. All of the pagan worship. See, not only were there just these kind of random temples spread all through Corinth, but there was also the temple of Apollos and, more disgustingly, the temple of Aphrodite. And so they were a very immoral culture sexually. And it was synonymous if you were a Corinthian girl. A prostitute and Corinthian girl were one and the same. It was synonymous. Uh, it was the lowest moral accusation you could make towards somebody would be to call them uh, a Corinthian. In Romans, we just finished up the book of Romans, and Paul wrote the book of Romans while he was in Corinth. And there's that section right in the beginning of, of Romans, Romans 1, 18 through 23. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beasts. And so this, this area of Corinth where Paul is writing this letter to the church that is there, Paul, he brought the gospel to these people. He brought the gospel into the, the wickedness and darkness. It was his second missionary journey. Remember, Paul went on three missionary journeys, some 10,000 miles, some 10 years. And on a second missionary journey, he brought the gospel to uh, Corinth and he planted a church there. And so now Paul is in Ephesus. He's writing this letter to the Corinthians from Ephesus, having planted this church and now moved on. He's writing this letter back to them. And really, Corinthians is, it's a pretty stern letter. As we get into it, it's a letter of correction. We're going to kind of get an inside look at a local church that is dealing with just real life carnal issues. And Paul, he, he writes this letter to the Corinthians, but it's a message of purpose. It's a message of, of hope, right? Where uh, Kamas, the philosopher, said that, you know, uh, life is purposeless and absurd. Paul writes this letter to prove just the opposite to those who have Jesus. He writes them a letter of purpose uh, and a letter of hope. A misguided people, well, you better believe it. We're going to see some Jerry Springer sort of stuff go on. But very 
filled with purpose and hope. And, um, you know, as misguided as they were, they belonged to the Lord. But even though they belonged to the Lord, their culture still was, was creeping in. And, you know, it, it's interesting to me because as I look at the society, the culture there in Corinth, boy, there's lots of similarities between Corinth and the USA. And we are seeing right before our eyes a church that is being influenced by culture more than the culture is being influenced by the church. And so as we read through Paul's admonishment and correction to the Corinthian church, man, is very applicable to us in this day and age personally. Uh, there's lots of good warnings in it. Uh, but the world had, had crept into the church at Corinth, and so they were a defiled church. They were dealing with sexual immorality and drunkenness and, and worldly living in the name of grace. Uh, you know, they were, they were just saying, you know what, we're just going to live the way we want to, and you know what, praise the Lord, we're forgiven. What a terrible way. There's people in our society today, in the church, I hear that, well, you know, I'm forgiven anyways. Bad idea, and we're going to see why. Uh, they were not only a defiled church, they were a divided church. We're going to see in this chapter tonight that they had broken themselves up into to four distinct groups that were just, there was a fracture going through the church. And they were a disgraced church. Because a church that is living in sin, a church that is divided, is not an effective church. And that really is where, you know, the problem in lies. As the church, we are to be the salt and light. We are the beacon of hope for a lost and dying world. And if we have lost our saltiness, then, then what good are we, Jesus says, but to be thrown out and trampled under the feet of men. And sometimes I look at the church and I see it being trampled under the feet of men and I say, why? Well, it's because we've lost our saltiness in so many. May it never be said of us that we've lost our saltiness. And so uh, social advancement really in Corinth was more important than the, the sharing of the gospel. And man, what a tragedy uh, that is. And so Paul here, he's going to take this letter and he's going to Write to them. He's going to remind them. Hey, I want you guys to remember that you're set apart. I want you to remember who you belong to. I want you to remember that you were bought with the price. That God has saved you for a purpose. That he has a plan for you to, to walk out. That this, this, this immorality that you're walking in, this is what God has called you into. It's what he's called you out of. There should be a clean break from the world and, and the church. And uh, again, as we study through this, what a good reminder it is for us. Because it's easy for us here to be, oh, those dirty, rotten Corinthians, tisk tisk, you know. But, boy, let us not be too proud because we can all fall into the same trap that they fell into. And so, in Paul's letter, he's going to explain, you know, listen, these are the practices that are out of step with the gospel. And this is the way that you get back on track. And so, he's going to deal with all sorts of stuff, division, uh, you know, working together to share the gospel, be a light, to build each other up. Uh, their arrogance, uh, the, the division, uh, the sexual immorality. He's going to deal with marriage and divorce and the pagan practice. He's going to talk about spiritual gifts and, and order in uh, worship services. And so um, Paul's letter here, boy, it is uh, a stern one uh, as he reminds the Corinthian church of what's important and what they've been called to. But it's an important one 
for us. And so Paul's writing to them really to say, all right, take this positional sanctification, right? The fact that you're saved and, and turn it into practical sanctification. Now let's, let's start to see some fruit in our lives is what Paul is going to encourage the Corinthians to do. And so with that, let's jump in. We're going to be right in verse 1 of chapter 1 of the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. So it says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul opens up this letter and says, hey, from Paul. Right? When we write letters, I mean, we really don't write letters anymore. We write emails. I mean, we hardly even write emails. Let's be honest. We text, and we don't sign those at all. But we all know how to sign a letter. We sign our, our name at the end of the letter. Hey, this is who it's from. Well, it was, you know, the practice of the ancient world to sign your name at the beginning of the letter. So before you started reading it, you knew, hey, this is from Paul. And so Paul identifies himself immediately as the author of this book. So that when the church got it, there's, oh, from Paul. From Paul who? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So why is it that the church at Corinth should listen to Paul at all? Well, because Paul is an apostle. He's called to be an apostle by Jesus Christ. Paul was the guy who planted the church. He was the one that Jesus called into this place of uh, authority. And, you know, it's important because Paul's legitimacy as an apostle it was one of those things that was questioned because Paul came later. Remember, there was the 12 apostles that Jesus called. Uh, we, we read about all of them in the Gospels. But then later on, Paul came along. And, and there were those who tried to discount Paul and say, oh, well, you weren't one of the originals, man. I mean, you weren't really with Jesus. Jesus didn't send you. You're not a legitimate apostle. We don't need to listen to you. But here's the truth of the matter is that Jesus did send Paul. And that's really what uh, apostle means. Apostle is apostolos in the Greek, which is where we get the word for apostle, which really means special ambassador. It's somebody who is sent with orders. And so the apostles, the 12, they were sent with orders by Jesus, right? Uh, we are sent, there's the Great Commission, uh, different sort of thing though, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So they look at Paul's life and say, well, were you really sent out by Jesus? And Paul would say, hey, let me share with you my testimony. <laughs> Remember his testimony back in Acts chapter 9? Paul, who was at that point in his life, saw a Pharisee, uh, a very self-righteous Jew, on his way to Damascus to rip Christians out of their place of worship, to drag them out of their homes into their streets, to have them beaten and arrested and thrown into jail for being Christian. On his way to go and do that, you guys know a story. Man, he had an encounter with Jesus that would change his life forever. The Lord showed up to him there on the road to Damascus, shown as a great light, voice booming, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul that day was knocked off of his high horse, blinded. His life was rearranged. His priorities changed. But what is it that Paul or God said about 
Saul, Paul. Right? When Paul was blinded there on the road to Damascus, he was sent to a man's house. That man's name was Ananias. He was a believer. And remember, Ananias was like, Lord, what are you doing to me? You're sending this man to my house? Do you know who he is? This is not good house company, Lord. But while Saul was there, the Lord uh, told Ananias regarding Paul the Apostle, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for in my name's sake. See, Paul was one who was sent out. The Lord told him to go personally. And so Paul states his authority. I'm appointed by the will of God. He comes giving this message by the authority of uh, Jesus. And so Paul is an apostle. It's important, this, this word apostle, because here's the thing. There are circles within the family of Christendom, within the church, within uh, Christians, where there are those who would believe that there is this apostolic thing that's taking place today, where there are modern-day apostles, people who have had visions, who have heard from the Lord, who are apostles, and that their word is authoritative just like the Scriptures are. And that is total heresy. If you ever hear anybody say, well, you know, the, the Lord is still calling apostles and he's still writing. No, he's not. The Old Testament was complete. It was a foreshadowing. It was prophetic of what would come. All of the things that would come are explained in the New Testament. And the oldest book that we have in the, Old, the New Testament is the book of Revelation. And that seals it up and tells us what is to come. We have everything we need. There are no more apostles like the 12, like Paul, that is a closed deal. The scriptures are, are written. So just understand that. So, but Paul here, at the beginning of this letter, isn't it important to kind of identify who you are and what authority you're bringing before you bring any sort of, of correction uh, to this church? And that's exactly what Paul does. And so this is from Paul, but not just Paul. It's from Sosthenes. You say, Sosthenes? Who is Sosthenes? Sosthenes, there's a Sosthenes in Acts chapter 18. And he was a leader of the synagogue there in Corinth who uh, replaced Crispus. Crispus was the, the leader of the synagogue. He trusted Jesus, and the Jews beat him up and removed him and put Sosthenes in his place. Well, Sosthenes got beat up for taking uh, some heat for Paul. Now, we don't know if this is the same Sosthenes, so I just tell you that as a FYI. That's just a fun uh, fact. But what we do know is that Sosthenes was probably Paul's scribe. Right? We know that Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Uh, you know, it was something in his life that was uh, bothersome. Many believe that it was his eyesight, and this would really be kind of evidence in that arena that, that Paul needed somebody to write for him because he couldn't see very well. So it's from Paul. Sosthenes identifies himself as the one that's penning the letter. And then this is to uh, the church at Corinth. It's like the Valentines you used to send out when you were a little kid. Remember that? From Jeremy to my Valentines. They, they just get it out of the way at the beginning of the letter. From Paul to the church at Corinth. And so this is to the local church at Corinth. And it's interesting, though, because the word for church there is ecclesia. Many of you guys have heard that word. You know what it means. It means the called out assembly. That's what we are as a church. Isn't that a cool thing? We are the called out assembly. We're set aside. We belong to the Lord. Uh, we have a special purpose and calling on our life, and that's what uh, ecclesia means. And so Paul is writing this 
to the church. And he writes this letter to the church. Again, this is a reminder. This is a reminder of who they are. In the beginning of this letter, he brings some encouragement before he kind of drops the hammer. And so he says, I want you to remember, there in in verse 2, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. So he reminds them right out of the gate of a couple things. First of all, he says, hey, you guys, don't forget that you're sanctified. Right to this carnal church, this church who is living in rampant sexual immorality, who is completely divided, who are more interested in working their way up the social ladder than they are spreading the gospel. Paul says, hey, you guys, don't forget that you've been sanctified. So what does sanctified mean? Sanctified means to be set apart. To be set apart. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, when your sins were forgiven, Man, you were born again. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. You're a new creature in Christ. You've been set apart, no longer bound to this world, but bound for glory. That's what sanctified means. You've been set apart. I'm so glad for that, that I've been set apart from this world. But sanctification, it's one of those words that has multiple meanings, right? There's a, a, a past meaning, a present meaning, and a future meaning. We have been sanctified. That that means that we are positionally sanctified. Positionally, as Christians, we are in Christ Jesus. We're robed in Jesus. Our sins have been dealt with once and for all. We've been made right. We've been justified. We are positionally sanctified, positionally set apart in Jesus. That's been done. It's a work that, that is accomplished. It's a work that can't be undone. So not only have we been sanctified, but we are being sanctified presently. We are presently being set aside. Again, wouldn't it be nice if on the day you got saved, on that day you just, boom, had complete victory over your carnal nature, complete victory over the flesh, never lost your temper, never failed, never lusted again, You're just, man, I'm solid in the Lord. Woo, hallelujah. But we still wrestle with our carnal nature. God is still making us into the person we're going to be for all of eternity. And that process is a process called sanctification, where we are set aside in the past. We're set aside positionally. It can't be undone, but God is still currently setting us aside. How? by the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through circumstances, through difficulty, through blessing, through brothers and sisters, through his word, all manner of things, but he's working on us. The Lord didn't save us to leave us where we were. He's working on us. And we should be able in our lives to look back and say, wow, that's where I was. See, that's the thing with the Christian life. Sometimes we can be like, Lord, man, am I even saved? Are you even working on me? And then we look back and say, wow, Lord, you've done such a work in my life. We ought to be able to do that. That's the process of sanctification. But not only have we been sanctified positionally in the past, not also we're being uh, sanctified presently, but we will be sanctified. There's coming a day when we will just flat out be set apart, and that will be it. And we will not wrestle with this carnal nature anymore. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. When we're just made whole and we're in the presence of Jesus 
And so Paul says, I want to remind you guys, don't forget you're sanctified, that you're set apart positionally, you're in Christ, currently God is working on you, and someday he's going to deliver you perfect to his Father in heaven, to your Father in heaven. But he also says, I want to remind you, not only that you're sanctified, uh, but also that you're called to be saints, that the Lord has a calling on your life. That he saved you because he has a work not only to do in you, but a work to do through you. That's so important for us to remember. And 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. Man, Paul is saying, don't forget that God has called you out of the darkness and into the light. He's called you with a purpose. Don't forget, you're sanctified, you're set apart, and you're set apart with purpose. The Lord has something uh, for you to do. And we could could glean a lot of truth from that. We could say, all right, that's true of every single one of us in here also. That the Lord has saved us, set us aside, not just for the sake of saving us. Man, I'm glad of that but also to use us. That we would be salt and light to reach our neighbors and our friends and our family and our coworkers and to all the things that the Lord has called us into. He's called us out of the darkness into the glorious light. And that came at a great cost. How were we called out of the darkness into the light? By the cross. You were bought with a price. All of these simple reminders, they, they, they put things in perspective. Don't forget. And then thirdly, Paul says, not only are you sanctified, not only uh, are you called to be saints, that there's a calling upon your life. The Lord has more for you than to be lost in the lust of this world. But lastly, Paul says, you're part of the body universally. Uh, that, that, that right there in verse, uh, verse 2, with all, you're called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we've been called out of the darkness. Boy, given purpose, but we've been called into something great. This thing that we do. Isn't this cool? I love doing church. People think that we're nuts for getting together on a perfectly good Wednesday night and studying the Bible and worshiping the Lord together. But how rad is it that we all get together, that we're all a part of something bigger than ourselves, that we're the body of Christ. And they don't understand because the cross is foolishness to the world. And we'll talk about that tonight. Maybe uh, on Sunday morning. But what a cool thing that we are the body uh, of Christ, that we're part of something bigger. And then Paul kind of uh, concludes this introduction with just very standard fare. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, really, it is just a very simple and common thing to say. Grace and peace to you. But there's so much in that. Right, Grace and peace unto you. There's a huge reminder for the Corinthian church in that as well. Because what is grace? It's unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. It's getting what we don't deserve. It's God's riches at Christ's expense, that acronym. Grace is such a wonderful thing. It's getting what we don't deserve It's all the blessings that we experience in this life. Life and light and peace and safety and surety and blessing and eternity. 
man, we don't deserve any bit of that. We don't. God said, man, I'm going to create humanity. Man, in this sinless environment, and I'm going to give them everything they need to flourish. I'm going to give them free will. And then we went and blew it. And we went and blew it. What we deserve from that point on really is destruction. God said, man, I gave you everything you needed, and you turned your back on me. I mean, really. That would be pretty just. Be like, all right, we'll snuff those guys out and start again. Uh, I'm a terrible artist, and I've tried my hand at many things. And you know what happens when I do something and it falls apart? I go, ah, we're going to scrap that one. (laughs) We're going to start again. The Lord didn't scrap us. So what they deserve is to be scrapped. But what I'm going to give them is a second chance and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a 100th. And that's so important for us to remember is that all the goodness in our life we don't deserve because when something bad happens in our life, when something tragic happens in our life, which many of us are familiar with and going through currently, say, Lord, how could you allow this to happen? Why would you do this? Why, Lord, would you do this? But what we have to remember is that God didn't do that. When we say, Lord, why do you do bad things to good people? God does not do bad things to good people. And we won't go down the there is no such thing as a good person. But God is not the author of confusion. God is not the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Bad things happen in this world because of sin, because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, because of Satan. What God does do, though, is he takes those things that are devastating and he turns them into things that are beautiful. And when we are at the crossroads of life and we have those situations that hurt so much and we say, oh, why, God, I hate this. Really what we're seeing is just a small, unadulterated view of the consequence of sin. That's what sin is, is that bitterness, is that pain, is that hurt. But God is so gracious. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. The sun shines on the good and on the wicked. God is so good to us. Never forget that, man, he is a gracious God who does not give us what we deserve, but he gives us the blessings that we do not deserve. There's no way we're making it through this chapter. But we'll take the next section for sure. Verse 4. It says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him, in all utterance, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so Paul, after he you know, introduces himself and Sosthenes, you know, after he reminds the church at Corinth that they're sanctified, that they've been called to be saints, that they're part of something bigger, uh, after he says, man, grace and peace to you. And by the way, peace is a byproduct of grace. Without grace, we can't really truly experience peace, just so you know, because now we have peace with God. But now he says, I thank God for you. To the Corinthian church, he says, man, I thank God for you guys. You guys are awesome. You have all these spiritual gifts, man. You lack in nothing. 
you have everything. So, so the church of Corinth there, they, they were blessed. Man, the Lord poured out upon them so many giftings. And we'll get into the spiritual gifts as we get further on in this book and in the next book and when we get into Ephesians. But there are many different giftings, spiritual giftings. And the church at Corinth, man, they were blessed with, with many spiritual gifts uh, in all utterance and in all knowledge uh, that they lacked nothing. Sure and no gift, Paul says. And so, uh, you know, they had all of these gifts, even though they were a very carnal church, even though they were a very disgraced church, walking in sin, even though they were a very divided church, divided into their groups, even though they were really not even spreading the gospel, still the Lord had blessed them with all of these giftings. And part of the problem that we're going to see later on in this chapter is that they were abusing their giftings. And spiritual gifts, and we'll get more into the spiritual gifts, what an amazing thing they are. Boy, what a blessing spiritual gifts are, but they have their proper place. My little six-year-old now, boy, this spring, he's all about archery. Man, he's just, whoo whoo he's flinging arrows all over the backyard. I'm praying for our neighbors on the other side of the fence. And then one day, he's setting up a target down at the end of the hall, and I'm like, oh, nobody. <laughs> you know, there's a time and a place for everything. Archery does not belong inside. Uh, spiritual giftings have a time and a place. They are exercised in a way that creates great joy and blessing, but they can also be brought to a place where they can cause great harm, and, and Paul's going to deal with that. But Paul here, he says, man, uh, to the Corinthians, I'm thanking God for you, all of your uh, spiritual giftings that you've been given. Man, you are eagerly, uh, eagerly awaiting uh, Jesus uh, that you may be confirmed uh, to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you kind of scale back and you, you think about this whole situation just for a minute. And Paul says, man, I'm just so thankful for you guys, for the blessings that received and for who you are. And I think just honestly, from a ministry standpoint, man, these guys were a pain in the butt. What a pain in the butt to try to like sort this stuff out and to, to be like, hey, you know, at one point, Paul's like, dude, you're not allowed to sleep with your mother-in-law, dude. That's not normal. Like trying to pastor that church. I think, I don't know if I would open with, man, I'm so thankful for you guys. I'd be like, hey, get your act together, man. Come on. But Paul says, hey, I want you to know how thankful I am for you and that God is going to see you through. And that is really important for a couple different reasons. First of all, man, the Lord has a calling on each one of our lives, right? To, to minister to the world, but to minister to each other also to speak into each other's lives. These relationships that we build with one another, man, they're so important because you guys can speak into each other's lives like maybe nobody else can. But Paul gives us a good example here. Before he brings the correction, he brings the encouragement. Before he says, hey, maybe you shouldn't be going down that road. He says, man, these are the areas where you're just crushing it, man. Good job, you guys. He brings the encouragement before he brings uh, the correction because this letter is going to be a stern one. And, you know, I, I really appreciate Paul in that. Have you ever met those people who can just say the hardest things in the most loving way 
to where you just receive and you're like, wow, that hurts so bad, but all I want to do is hug you. Like, that's Paul. I don't have that gift. I say the hard thing and people say, oh, man, all I want to do is punch you in the mouth. <laughs> I'm working on being more like Paul. But what a good example for us to bring the encouragement before we bring the, the correction. Secondly, this is really important because as Paul brings this correction, he says, I want you to know that the Lord is going to see you through. Man, we're going to have a, t- uh, a talk. It's going to be a tough talk. It's going to be a difficult talk. We're going to talk about some things, man, that are really uncomfortable. And you're going to feel like I'm coming down on you like a ton of bricks. But I want you to remember that Jesus is bigger than all of your shortcomings that he's going to see you through till the end. 1 Peter 1, starting there in verse 4, says that we have an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. That, That we have this inheritance Our inheritance is heaven. It's set away from us. We can't mess it up here on earth. It's a done deal. And we are being kept. How are we being kept as Christians? By the power of God. See, here's the thing, is that we all have shortcomings too. Uh, Like I said, it's easy for us to cross our arms and say, ah, tisk tisk, the church of Corinth, what a bunch of dirtbags. But the reality is we all have our issues too. And it's so good to know that God is bigger than our shortcomings. God is bigger than my faults. God is bigger than my failures. And so Paul here, he lays this out, and it's so important because, man, as this is is coming down, hey, you guys need to not do this. You guys need to not walk in sexual immorality. You guys need to not be divided. You guys need to love. Boy, you're walking a fine line there. But like, okay, well, now God's mad at us, and we need to do these things so God is no longer mad at us, but now God loves us. And Paul says, hey, listen, God's going to see you through. This is not a works-based thing. Don't forget that. Don't forget that it is a grace-based salvation, that, that we're saved by grace through faith, not by works, nothing that we can do of ourselves. We can't brag about being saved because it, it, it's a free gift. And Paul says, I want you to understand. I want to make sure that you don't slide into this error, into this place of thinking, all right, now we... We, we've been bad Christians, and now we have to be good Christians so God isn't mad at us. And I'm telling you what, some of us may snicker at that, but some of us are wrestling through that even right now. Where we say, man, I love the Lord, and I know that I'm saved, but I'm wrestling through this thing, and I feel like God is mad at me. Here's the thing. There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Satan desires to bring into your life condemnation, to say you're not good enough, you've gone too far, God is mad at you, God doesn't want you anymore. Uh, all the, that's Satan. Conviction, boy, is, man, we, we know that we're involved in something we shouldn't be, but the difference between condemnation and conviction is that condemnation drives us from Jesus and conviction draws us to Jesus. say, oh, I know, but thank you for the grace. Thank you for the forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul wants to get that straight. And it's important. If you're wrestling with something tonight, man, don't give up the fight. Don't quit wrestling. Don't quit striving to to be holy. 
right? That's our part we play in sanctification. But remember, when you go toe-to-toe with sin, you're not going to be victorious. Instead, run to Jesus and say, Lord, wash me clean. Keep me safe. And the more time we spend with Jesus, the less draw the world has on us. It's just a reality. But don't fall into that trap of being condemned. Uh, So Paul here says, man, don't forget that Jesus is going to see you through again. There's lots of correction coming, and Paul does not want them to misunderstand him. And that's where we're going to close tonight. That's a good, that's a good ending point. So, um, man, it is going to be a good book. We barely even scratched the surface. Uh, but as we dig into this stuff, man, there's so much practical application for us. But for tonight, man, let us remember those simple things that Paul shares in the opening uh, just a couple verses of Corinthians, man, that, that we're set apart, that we are sanctified, that the Lord is working on us, that we belong to him, and he has saved us for a purpose. He, he has work to do in our lives, but work to do through our lives. Man, let us remember, just like the Corinthians, that we are a part of the body of Christ. We're part of something that's so much bigger than just ourselves, and we have each other for a reason. And let us remember that, man, God is so much bigger than our failings, that he is going to see us through. It's not by our own strength, but it's by the power of the Lord. Amen? So, Lord, thank you again just for your goodness towards us. Thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, thank you for your peace that we can experience in our lives. Lord, thank you for your word that you've given to us to lead us and and direct us and to be a light and a lamp. And I just pray, Lord, that as we, um, as we leave tonight, Lord, and just head back home or, or into the things that, that you've called us to, Lord, that we would be mindful of those simple truths. Lord, that we belong to you. Lord, that you've called us out of darkness into light. Lord, that, that we're a part of, of this wonderful thing, the called out assembly, the church. Lord, that it's by your grace and that your mercy that we've, we've been saved. And we just, we rejoice in that. Lord, I pray for those who are just walking in condemnation, that they would walk in the freedom that is available to them. And I pray, Lord, that as we go through this book, the same would be true of us. That as we come face to face with hard truths and correction, as you bring correction into our own lives, Lord, that we wouldn't shut down or back off but also, Lord, we wouldn't slip into this place where we think we need to earn your favor again. So please continue just to do work in our lives. Please continue to be with us. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord, for it's when we get our eyes onto the things of this world, Lord, that everything seems to fall apart. So thank you that you've got us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.